a little sad when sermon series has come to an end. I feel like I need a moment of silence to gather my thoughts. I love series uh, for a lot of reasons, but um, we have been uh, discussing the Sermon on the Mount. And I know discussing is really generous because you don't say much. Uh, it just makes me feel a little bit kinder to you. Um, but uh, we have, we've, and unfortunately, I mean, honestly, you could take a year and, and talk about the Sermon on the Mount every Sunday because we are really skipping over a lot of stuff. So if you get the, get the idea here, Jesus is starting his ministry and he takes his disciples, you know, and, and, and sits down on a rock and teaches them this famous sermon. And it's found in Matthew over three chapters, five, six, and seven. And if you'd like to take your Bibles or your phone apps and turn to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. There's actually four Gospels that start the New Testament off, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're all different authors that relate similar events. And the idea is that it describes to us the coming of Jesus, his life here on earth, his teachings, and then his death and resurrection. And then the rest of the New Testament kind of takes it from there. But it's a really great study. Um, and Matthew in particular has a lot of good information about this particular topic, the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's kind of where we are this morning. And we've taken just four weeks to take a look at what his teachings were like because the idea behind the Sermon on the Mount is this is what it's supposed to look like, people. This is what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. So you start right off with the Beatitudes, and we talked about the right side up, like just getting a different frame of mind about life and where things are supposed to be uh, going and, and how, what our priority is supposed to be. And then we talked about having an upward focus, and that is not doing things because we want to be seen of men, but to do things because we want to glorify God and be grateful for all that he's done. And then last week we talked about trading up, how we can, we, it's a choice how we live. In this life, and we get to choose God or mammon. We make choices like that on a daily basis, and what that looks like, and how eternity needs to be in our focus all the time. And so, this week, the last week, we're gonna we're gonna jump down to the end of chapter seven and finish up the Sermon on the Mount with this idea of the upside, because all of this culminates into what Jesus is talking about here at the end of chapter seven. And I really wish we had time to talk more about chapter 7. Some of the topics in there are the, you know, the famous verse, judge not that, what? You be not judged, right? Everybody wants me to preach about that one because that means you get to do anything you want to because no one can judge you. I don't think that means what you think it means, but all right. And then, uh, and then it talks about our good father. And I love that in verses 7 through 11, just how he wants to do good for us. And he compares his ability to be a father to your ability. And, uh, and, and uh, newsflash, he does a better job. And then uh, the golden rule is in here. Um, and then verses 13 through 29, which is the last part of the chapter, um, Jesus draws comparisons, three different comparisons or contrasts, I should say, between fake followers and genuine followers. He talks about the narrow gate and the wide gate. He talks about the good tree that produces good fruit and the bad tree that produces evil fruit. 
And then he jumps down into this final portion here, the last four verses of chapter 7. And this is where we're going to wrap up today, talking about a wise and a foolish builder. And this is where it all culminates. This is the upside. So here's the contrast in Matthew chapter 27, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. There's one. And then the next two verses give the other example. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Luke's rendition of this same story is much more brief but he went into a lot more detail about the wise man digging down deep until he hit bedrock like there was more intentionality to it. So we have two different builders here, right? You have, you have uh, the wise builder, and this is the builder that we all want to be. I mean, if you were going to choose, if you were shopping for a house, this is the one you would want, the one that was built by the wise builder. We, wanna, we want a life that doesn't only, only look good to everybody else, but actually can withstand the storms of life. But what made the difference is that the wise builder was intentional. There is intentionality to how he built his life. He heard what Jesus said and he built his life upon it. And folks, that is, that's a big deal. That's, that's the difference. He heard what Jesus said and Jesus just says and does them. It seems simple, right? You hear and then you just do what you heard and that's building your life upon a rock. But then he contrasts that with the foolish builder. The foolish builder is who we don't want to be. He built a house that also looked good. By all intents and purposes, he was a great contractor. He probably built a house very similar that looked just like But the foolish builder was purposeless. He did not dig deep. He did not have intentionality when he built his house. And that's it. That's the difference. You thought that was the end of the sermon. And you got really excited there for a second. But that's the, that's the nutshell, right? That is, so, so the wise builder not only heard it, but he did it. The foolish builder heard it, but didn't do what Jesus said. That's the difference. Here's what's remarkable. He's not described as a bad guy. He wasn't identified as an evil person or a reprobate. He's a hearer. He's even a knower. He just wasn't a doer. And Jesus calls him a foolish builder. Both builders hear the words of Jesus. 
and both build houses that look good. And each house even looks secure. But it's the storm that tests the quality of the house and reveals the foundation of the life. The picture is not of two men who can't build a house, right? They can both build a house. They can earn a paycheck, have a family, do all the stuff that looks normal. The picture here contrasts one builder who builds his life intentionally and the other builder who builds his life haphazardly. It's not a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of doing what you know to do. So I had a little fun this weekend. I had a little drive back from D.C. and I started to kind of like talk to myself it's a really interesting conversation. It was great until I started answering myself. Then I got worried. But you know how you can do that voice, like, you know, dictation? So I got my phone up there, and I'm just making notes for myself for my sermon as I'm thinking through stuff, right? And so forgive this, but this was a lot of fun for me. And I eliminated several of them, so be patient, all right? But here's what I came up with as I was enjoying my ride back from Laurel, Maryland this week. So, so here's number one. If knowing doesn't lead to doing, then knowing doesn't make you any better than not knowing. All right? Think about it, okay? If knowing doesn't lead to doing, then knowing doesn't make you any better than not knowing. You might as well not know. I smiled too when I came up with that, but... So here's the truth. Knowledge doesn't necessarily make you better. It only helps you act like you know more. How about this? Knowing what you need to do doesn't make the difference. Doing what you know to do does. (laughs) You know I had a good time with this. Knowing may be half the battle. You've heard that, right? Well, knowing's half the battle, but there's only half of it. Doing is the other half. And doing is going to make all the difference. And here's the one you can retweet. That just sounded cool. Because like all these blogs that I read, they're like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll summarize and say, here's what you can retweet. All right, here's what you can retweet. It's better to do what you know to do than to know more of what you won't do anyway. Come on. I mean, that's, Right? It's better to do what you know to do than just get more information of what you're not going to do anyway. How frustrating is that? I can hear my mom right now. Like, (laughs) sorry. What you're doing is shouting so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. That's not exactly what my mom sounded like, but that's what she sounded like to me. So, like, what are you working on doing? Like, we're great churchgoers, right? Like, we, we love the truth, and we soak it up, and we enjoy the music, and we, and we get something out of the message, and then we walk out of here and just do the same thing. You probably know a lot. It's not that we need to know more stuff. It's like we need to do more of what we already know. I mean, just look at the Sermon on the Mount. If we would just start here, right? 
Here's like 20 things. The Beatitudes, being salt and light in this world, how to handle anger, adultery, divorce, revenge, the treatment of our enemies, our motives, our almsgiving, our prayer, our fasting, our materialism, our anxiety, judging others, asking, seeking, and knocking, the golden rule, and seeking first the kingdom of God. Start there. Right? But we're really good. Okay, okay. Soren Kierkegaard said this. He had a little parable called Duckland. It was Sunday morning, and all the ducks dutifully came to church, waddling through the doors and down the aisle into their pews where they comfortably squatted. I'm going somewhere. When all were settled and the hymns were sung, the duck minister waddled up to his pulpit, opened the duck Bible, and read, Ducks, we have wings, and with wings you can fly like eagles. You can soar into the sky. Use your wings. It was a marvelous duck scripture. And thus all the ducks quacked their ascent with a hearty amen. And then they plopped down from their pews and waddled home. Do you hear me? Or, or Soren? We become really good church goers and we become really good church knowers. But if we aren't doers, then are we becoming any more like Christ? And can our faith weather the storm? Can our lives weather the storm without being shaken or getting mad at other believers? Or doubting God's love? Or quitting altogether? Have we become really good at agreeing with Jesus, but just not doing anything he says? Obedience is our opportunity to demonstrate our love for Jesus. He said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He said, and this is, this is right before Luke's version of the same parable of the wise and foolish builder. He said this. He said, and why call ye me Lord? Lord, and do not the things that I say. That bites, doesn't it? That hurts a little bit. As my mom used to say, lips and life should agree. Love is not about what you say as much as it's about what you do. Jesus said this in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Great illustration here I got out of Chuck Swindoll's book called Improving Your Serve. So let's pretend that I own a big company and you work for me and I'm going to go overseas to start a new branch and I need you to take over and run my executive offices here in the States. And so I promise that I'm going to be gone, while I'm going to be gone for six to eight months, I'm going to write you letters regularly and, you, and, and, and that will give you all the instructions that you need for, for while I'm gone. So the time comes when I go away and I do what I say and all the letters come in and months pass and then I finally come back and I come to our corporate offices and the grass and the weeds have grown up high, the windows are broken and I walk into the receptionist room and she's doing her nails, chewing gum, listening to her favorite music station and ignoring me. Waste baskets are overflowing. 
The carpet hasn't been vacuumed. And nobody seems concerned that the owner himself has returned. So then I look for you and someone points down the hall to where you are. And so I go to my office, which has now become a TV room. And I ask you to step, step outside for a minute. And I look at you and I say, what in the world is going on? And you reply, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? And you say, letters? Oh, yeah, we got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we have letter study every Friday night. We have even divided all the personnel into small groups and discussed many of the things that you wrote. Some of these things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. One or two memorized an entire letter or two. Those letters are full of great stuff. Okay, so, so you got my letters, you studied them, you meditate on them, you even memorized them, you discussed them, but what did you do about them? And you reply, well, we didn't do anything about them. That's what I'm talking about. The foolish man knew the same stuff as the wise man. He just didn't do it. So here's the upside to all of this. The upside, number one, is that we can know what Jesus said. It's not like he's hiding it. It's not like he's making it difficult for us to gain the information. And here's, here's a mind-blowing thought that I had this week. I don't have many original ones. But this one just popped in my head this week that if, if Jesus was only interested in saving us for eternity, he could have come and died and never said a word. But he stayed here for three years of ministry teaching us how to live now. He came to do more than just die. He spent three years teaching us how to live. He came to do more than to save us in the next life. He spent three years to teach us how to live in this one. We can know what Jesus says. The next step side is, is that Jesus promises to help. Thank God he's willing to help me do what he's asked me to do. We have this gap in our gospel, in the good news. We know how to meet Jesus. And we know we will be with Jesus in eternity. And then there's the gap. From the time we meet Jesus to the time we get into eternity. What are we doing with that part of the gospel? Here's another tweetable phrase. It's not enough to believe in life after death. We need to start believing in life before death. It's not enough to believe in life after death. We need to start believing in life before death. Second Peter 1.3, and this excites me so much. It's 1.3, not 2.3. <laughs> According as his divine power has given unto us all things, 
You know what all means? It means all. It means you can't come up with anything that's not on that list. He's given us all things that pertain, that have anything to do with life. I believe that's eternal life. And godliness. That is patterning our life here on earth to live a God-honoring life. So let's read that again. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And there's more to that scripture I would encourage you to read in, in, in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. Jesus promises to help us live the life that we're called to live. So the upside here is we, we can know what Jesus says and Jesus promises to help. And then thirdly, Jesus guarantees it'll work. How awesome is that? It's a guarantee. But now, don't misunderstand me. Obedience to Christ does not eliminate storms. It just determines whether you will stand or fall in the storm. The rains will come. And the winds will blow. And the water will rise. And our lives will have to weather a storm. But how well you do with that has a lot to do with what you do with what you know. You have a divine guarantee when God is the architect of your life. And here's the great thing, right? So let's see, let's say your life starts to to get messed up, and bad things happen. Let's say they do walk out. Let's say that there is a financial shortfall. Let's say, let's say crummy stuff really happens to you. You proud of me? I didn't say crappy. <laughs> crummy stuff happens to you. Well, wait a minute. I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was giving. I was caring. I was serving I was loving well. I was doing what I was supposed to. Jesus guarantees it'll work. He doesn't guarantee you won't have problems. He guarantees that in the midst of the problems, you'll still stand. And folks, listen to me. Sometimes all you can do is stand. That's it. Sometimes we don't even do that well. Sometimes we have to kneel. And that's all we can do. Jesus guarantees it'll work. And number four, and finally, doing will make all the difference in this life and the next. It's not just for the sweet by and by, it's for the nasty now and now. Another little thought I had. It's more than just what happens later. It's about what's happening now in your life. And I don't want to get too normal sounding, but it really is about Jesus. I mean, as you're living your life, it's about knowing him and having a relationship with him. As you go through life, And as you build that relationship, you get to know how he thinks. 
Like you get the idea of, of how he wants you to respond to people, how he wants you to work at work, and how he wants you to be a dad, and, and how he wants you to give and to help and to serve, and, and it's about getting to know him. So here's the overwhelming thing, is it's like there's so much out there for us to do because we already know so much, so where do you start? Here's my encouragement to you. Your next step is just your next step, Right? We don't have to worry about everything right now. It's like, what is the next thing he wants you to do? Like, what is it? Like, right now you thought about it. Like, what is it? All right, I'm supposed to start giving. Okay, God, I really believe God wants me to plug into a community group. I really feel that. God wants me to attend one of these growth classes. If that's like the next thing that hits your mind, then that's the next step for you. And isn't that beautiful? It's like you don't have to get there now you just have to take this step now and that's how you get there that's why I love the analogy that this is a journey that we're on because a journey is made up of a bunch of steps and I don't know what your next step is but here's a here's a lot of us like yeah that's I really believe that God yeah that's wonderful is there any way I can get around it like is there anything I I really don't want to yeah that's that doesn't make any sense to me. That's tough. That's your step. That's your step. That's, that, that's the next step we're supposed to do. The next thing you need to focus on is whatever your next step is. Hey, Paul. <laughs> Paul, that was my moment, man. That was, it was like all coming right down to that moment right there. All right. <laughs> Woo! That was, that was Lord saying, you know it's 10.08, right, Eric? I love it. I love it. And that's what, it, it, is, it is all about whatever the next thing is for you. I'd love to, I'd love to be the impetus for that. I'd love to, I'd love to kind of help jog that in your brain like all right all right i know what that is and i need to take that next step i need to i already know what it is for me it's like that's that's where god is leading me and i want to build my life i want to build my life on the teachings of christ because i know that they're guaranteed to work and i want to show my life i want to show my love for the lord in my life by being obedient to him let's pray father we love you and we so much want to please you. And I mean, we're here. I mean, we, we, we came to church because we value this. And this is an opportunity to learn more about you. But help us to have more than itching ears that just want to hear some more truth. Help us to have a life that honestly and legitimately wants to become who we need to be. And help us to be willing to take that next step so that our lives can weather the storms without getting angry, without getting depressed, but knowing that you're walking alongside of us. Thank you for loving us well. In Jesus' name, amen.